What's up, Vanished crew? Welcome to another episode of Vanished in the Valley. I am your host, Athena. And today we're going to kind of do the reverse of what we normally do on this podcast. What we have today is the story of a hiker named Mostly Harmless. I got most of my information from the Collier County Sheriff's podcast called Sworn Statement. And you're going to hear a lot of excerpts from the authorities, the investigators, and different trail hikers that met Mostly Harmless on his way down the Appalachian Trail through the... And I think he actually... Okay, so it's kind of a mystery. I think he starts on the Appalachian Trail and ended up in the Florida Everglades. So we're going to kind of start at the end because Mostly Harmless was found dead. I'll tell you that story right now. So on July 23rd, 2018, Nicholas Horton and Logan Bueller decide to go for a hike. And they're hardcore. They want to go on a 15-mile hike in the summer in Florida. They get to this little area. It's found on Highway 75. It's in the Big Cypress National Preserve. And it's in the Florida Everglades. So they pull into the parking lot. They're literally the only car there. And they start this hike. And the hike is a 15-mile loop going through the Florida Everglades. So the first couple of miles, they say, isn't too rough. It started raining, which brought the temperature down and made it kind of bearable. But as they proceed on this hike, it stops raining and it starts to get Florida summer hot with the humidity. And it's just like, it's bad. It is overbearing. They just keep going. You know, they could have turned around once it started to get so hot. They decide to go on. Something is pushing them to, you know, do this whole 15-mile loop. They get to the first rest-slash-campsite area and decide to push on. It's about 5 p.m. when they got there. So they're, they're hiking on. They come to a flooded stream area, and they have to decide if they want to cross or not. And keep in mind, this is Florida, so there can be alligators and snakes and all kinds of treacherous ass shit waiting for them in this flooded stream. But they're soaked and they decide to go through it. And this shit's like three feet high. So up top, guys, that took some balls. (laughs) So they get about seven miles in and on the marker next to the trail, it's kind of listing... There's another camp area up ahead, and if they make it to the next camp area, there's a cabin they can rest at. So they push on to this next site. But unfortunately, once they get there, they see the cabin has burned down. So at this point, they're out of water, and Nick's feet are killing him because he wanted, he wore cowboy boots, (laughs) thinking, you know, protecting from the snakes or whatever. I guess it was killing his feet. But they pushed on. As they're hiking and hiking, the miles are behind them, they finally reach an area called Noble Campsite. And it's actually the last campsite on this whole loop. So after this, it's the last five miles leading back to the parking lot. They enter the whole campsite area and decide to sit down at one of the picnic tables. And they notice that there's a pair of boots and a yellow tent. And when I first saw the tent, I thought it was like a one-man tent, but apparently it's actually a two-man mountaineering tent. They say hello. They don't want to, like, startle this person or invade on their privacy, and they don't get a reply or anything. And they sit at the table for a while longer, trying to recover from these 10 miles they just hiked in the god-awful Florida heat. 
being some granola bars, just basically trying to get their strength back. And Nick decides it's time to get going, and he starts to walk back to the trail. But before he could get too far, Logan's like, wait, come back here. Come look at this guy. And Nick kind of gets this, like, a bad feeling in his stomach. He doesn't want to go look, but he does. What Nick describes is he sees a man in the tent. He's kind of in an upright position, kind of pretzeled, just like in a twisted position with his eyes wide open, staring at him. So at that point, they're like, damn, we need to call 911. And they do. And here's a portion of the 911 call for you. Call your county 911. What is the address of your emergency? Um, I'm at Big Cypress National Preserve. Is that on, on Alligator Alley? It is. It was off of 75, yeah, Alligator Alley. Okay. Um, are you on the preserve, though, or are you still on the highway? No, I'm, on the, I'm in the preserve right now. I'm trying to walk out of it. Okay, yeah, because I'm, I'm using your phone here to okay, get the location. Cool. Um, no problem. And what is your name? I'm Nick Horton, or Nicholas Horton. And what's the phone number you called us from? Thank you so much. And did you need the police fire medical? Uh, we just found a dead body. Okay. Are you on the trail? Yeah, I'm on the trail, and then the dead body is at the Noble, um, Camp Noble site, right? At the, um, kind of at the end, but when you kind of, like, start to turn around to come back. So, at this point, the dispatcher basically just tries to get where exactly his location is and how they got there, just so the deputies can get there. They get the contact information so the deputies can call them and they work out that the deputies are going to call him and probably reach the area by ATV. Yeah, it's in a tent. Like, I just, like, we walked by it and, I don't know, we thought it smelled strange or something, kind of right in it. And it's kind of curled up. Yeah, it just looks like one body. Okay. And what, do you remember the color of the tent? Um, yeah, there's only one tent out there in this whole place because we just walked the whole trail. Okay. It was like a small red and yellow and yellow. yellow. It's all yellow tent. Oh, it's an all yellow tent? Okay. Yeah. And when you did see the body, did you check on it to see if it was breathing or anything? Yeah, I mean, I didn't touch it. I looked at it. We yelled, hello. But he looked really skinny and really, um, like, I don't know, like a weird color. Um, the units that are responding are going to give you a phone call um, and get some more information that they want to ask. Okay. All Thank right. You. So we can go ahead and disconnect. All right. All right. Thank you. So after this 911 call goes out, deputies respond, and finally a homicide detective from the Collier County Sheriff's Department gets to the site where they have found the dead body. My name is Detective Kevin O'Neill. I work with the Collier County Sheriff's Office Homicide Section. I've been with the Collier County Sheriff's Office for just over 15 years, and I served the New York City Police Department about 21 years prior to that. When I received the call, it had already been confirmed that the man had passed away and he was in the tent. You always look first for the, for the possibility that this was a crime, and then you work your way down from there. But quickly, you facts start bringing you to the fact that this was not a criminal event. This is a camper. Um, when I first physically saw him in the tent, I could see that he was not, in, in my opinion, in good physical shape. So whether he was ill, fell ill, 
or had an illness, we w I would not know at that point, but nothing indicated any criminality involved here. Shortly thereafter, it was discovered that he had about close to $3,600 in cash in, inside the tent. Uh, he had another area where he had about 40 something dollars worth of, of money also. The body was removed to the medical District 20 Medical Examiner's Office, and at that time, the crime scene was terminated. The scene is, is, is terminated, and the investigation goes from there. It would be normally procedural, but there were some things that were missing that weren't weren't normally found, such as identification. We found money, but we did not find any identification. Any sort of electronic devices, you know, 90%, 99% of the world right now is carrying electronic devices, which is a electronic footprint of your life. He didn't have one. At that point now, you have you have him, you have a physical description of him, and you're hoping somewhere along the line somebody has reported him missing or he has some sort of background which we can check through his fingerprints and description and see if actually somebody is already looking for him. Well, the, the first thing I would do and did was obtain his fingerprints, which were obtained at the medical examiner's office, and they would be run through the various databases and to see if we had any sort of history, such as a criminal history or was he ever in the military or anything else like that, and all the checks came back negative. So we would look to see first if we had anyone missing out of our county, which we had nobody at that time matching his description, and then the surrounding areas also to see if somebody has anybody missing in the surrounding counties that might meet his description, and that didn't come out. When you go to put out bulletins, I can't use the photograph I had of him because he's deceased. So the photograph was sent to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and assisted us in making a composite drawing off the photograph we had. One of the features noticed about this individual is that he had perfect teeth. So we felt it was, it was necessary to put that on the composite. So we got it out to the public that this guy had very good teeth. And at that point, we reach out to the press and we ask the press's help and get the information out there to try to get this man identified. So on August 2nd, they have this composite sketch they've made based upon a dead body, mind you. And they put it out to the press and they decide to put it up on Facebook. And they got nearly like immediate response from a woman named Kelly Fairbanks. And she describes herself as a trail angel. And what a trail angel is, people that do these like hardcore month-long hikes like out here in California it would be like the Pacific Coast Trail that runs basically like the whole West Coast so these people just check on the hikers they give them different foods like crackers and Kool-Aid stuff to flavor water and just kind of keep an eye and make sure these people are okay and Kelly Fairbanks she's actually the first one that came up with a picture of him and was able to give police kind of like an idea of what this guy was about, just based upon the brief conversation she had with him. And I actually have an excerpt of a call she made. So here you go. As soon as I seen it, I knew who it was. Someone from that end of the state had posted the Collier County composite sketch in our hiking group. And I immediately messaged Collier County Sheriff with a picture and asked, was this their guy? Uh, 
they wanted my phone number and a detective called me right back. Right as I pulled up to him, I was like, I introduced me myself. I told him we're trail angels. And then we had gotten out to talk to him so that he wasn't standing on side of my car next to a road. Highway 90 is pretty uh, traffic. So that's the reason we got out of the car and we're just standing there talking to him. With the hikers, I'll give them a sticker for them to keep, and it has ST through hike on it. It's just something we've been doing here in Florida to kind of promote our trail to get more traffic on our trail. And he agreed to take a picture with that little sticker. So we stood there talking to him for maybe 15 minutes. The one thing that stood out in my mind when I met him was his eyes and the fact that his eyes looked so young and then he had this gray beard on his face. And it just didn't match his eyes, in my opinion. I just felt like he was so much younger than his appearance gave you, you know, just looking at him, you thought he was older just with the full beard and the gray in it, but his eyes just were so young looking. So he, he'd been in the back of my mind the whole time waiting to see if anybody saw him further down south or if he makes it, made it to the end. But when I seen that, I just knew it was him. There was no doubt in my mind it was him. Um, he had told me that he had started in New York and was heading down to uh, Key West. And I asked him, was he using the Florida Trail Guide app? And he said, no, I'm not carrying a phone. And I said, what? What do you mean you're not carrying a phone? And he's like, well, I just wanted to disconnect. You know, sometimes people want to do that. And I was like, I get it. I said, so how are you finding your way on the trail? And he told me he had just been following the blazes. And he pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket. And it was a probably an 8 by 11 piece of standard paper. And it had a picture of the entire state of Florida on it, drawn through where the trail would go. And that's all he was using as a map. Um, I was concerned about him. Um, I told him we do a hiker reunion every January, and I had invited him to tag along with us. And he said because he didn't have a phone, he couldn't tell me where he'd be in three days from now. I have a little trail magic bag that I put Kool-Aid mixes and apple cider mixes and just different things to add flavor to a water and crackers and that kind of thing. So I handed him that and he went on his way. So that right there was literally the only interaction that Kelly Fairbanks had with Mostly Harmless. But this woman, she's the bomb. What she ended up doing is putting his picture up on a Facebook group. It's like a hikers group, basically. And she ended up tagging different people she had met along the trail so word could get out that we needed to find this guy's information. I mean, there's got to be a family somewhere wondering about this guy. I mean, you would think, unless he's just like one of those poor souls that are just totally alone in the world. And the reason I'm profiling, I know he, you know, this all happened on the East Coast, but... As we get into the story, we're going to find out some of his gear was actually from California. And he does tell a, a few different people along the trail that he's into IT and that he's actually trying to make an app for hikers to find different water locations along these trails. So maybe somebody out here in California knows him. Maybe one of our listeners if you guys do, if you know anything about Mostly Harmless, and I'll put pictures of them up on the Instagram and the Facebook, go check it out. 
You can email me at vanishinthevalley at gmail.com or contact me through the Instagram or the Facebook. Uh, I'm mostly on the Instagram. I don't really have Facebook on my phone, but if you really want to get a hold of me, do the Instagram or the email. Or literally just call 911 and be like, look, I have information. I think I know who quote unquote mostly harmless is. And the whole origin of his name is kind of disputed. So some people say that he is a fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, this is like a science fiction book written back in the 70s. And the fifth book in this series is titled Mostly Harmless. But there's also a story of some hikers he met. And apparently the hikers on these trails, they're super friendly with each other, which in my mind leads to like getting made into a skin suit. But apparently they don't watch the ID channel. So this group of hikers is just like, I guess they're resting uh, one day on the trail. And mostly harmless, I guess, kind of stumbles upon them. And... They say, hey, you can join us, you know, as long as you're not trouble. And he replies, okay, I'm mostly harmless. And they say, welcome in, mostly harmless. And apparently that's how the name was started. But nothing's like confirmed in this case. It's all, you know, just word. So because Kelly put this information on Facebook, that's why we have so many different pictures of him. As he's making his way down the Appalachian Trail to the Florida Keys. Because he keeps telling everyone he wants to end in the Florida Keys. So I'm going to put all the pictures that are available up on the Instagram. Go check it out. See if you recognize this guy. He's it's just like it's such a sad story. Nobody knows why he died. They think, you know, they say starvation. But why did he starve with $3,800 in his pocket? Apparently... Where he was, it wasn't too far from where he could, you know, re-up on his supplies. He was five miles from a rest area that had vending machines with food. And I guess to the north was a Seminole reservation. And he could have re-upped there as well. One of the theories is maybe he got Giardia and just was too sick. And as a person who has survived Giardia, holy shit. If he got that out on the trail with no help, I can 100% understand how he died. I almost died and I was in civilization. I lost like 15 pounds in six days. I've never been as sick in my life. So if that's true, if he contracted Giardia, I can definitely see, you know, that's what happened. But nobody knows. All we know is he died of malnutrition and That along the way, he met several hikers and he never gave his true name. At one point, I think when he was beginning this whole hike, he went by the name Denim because he was wearing denim jeans. And any hiker, like with any amount of fucking trails behind them, no, you don't do Denim. Denim is not cool for hiking. So he ends up changing his name. And I guess that's apparently when he becomes mostly harmless. Now, there is an account of him staying in a hostel in Georgia. And apparently at this hostel, they make you use a real name. And they say it's a fake name, but I'll give it to you anyway. He registered on November 22nd, 2017 as Ben Bellamy. And apparently he stayed at this hostel on November 22nd, 2017, November 25th, and November 26th. And the hostel is located in North Georgia. 
Now, when the people who were running this hostel saw that he was found dead, they were able to identify some stuff on him. They noticed he had Brooks Range tent, which was about $300, and it was made in California. And the reason why they recognized this tent is apparently it's like a mountaineering tent, and it's a two-person tent, and it's kind of heavy. So most mountaineers didn't even want to mess around with it, and it, you know, it's just too heavy to go hiking around. But this tent would actually kind of help him get recognized and give some more information to the sheriff's department. Because Bob Gabrielson, who is the proprietor of Top of Georgia Hiking Center, actually recognized Mostly Harmless because of this tent. And he actually kind of remembered some of the interactions he had with him. So here's a little excerpt of a conversation with Bob. My name is Bob Gabrielson, and I'm the proprietor of the Top of Georgia Hiking Center in North Georgia, um, near Dick's Creek Gap on the Appalachian Trail. We're at mile 69 from the uh, southern end of the trail. I'd say we probably see a few thousand hikers a year. There are a lot of people hiking the trail that are basically using it as a pilgrimage, a therapy of sorts. Um, people are hiking off um, lost marriages, war, war memories, um, illnesses, uh, things like that, uh, trying to find themselves after college and after retirement. Everybody is sort of in the same boat, it seems. They're all on some sort of transition, you know. They're getting out of school, and what's my career going to be, or... All right, it's near the end of my life, and now I'm retiring, and what am I going to do? And I better do this quick while my knees still work. Um, so, uh, you know, when something like this that we're going to be talking about happens, um, it's unusual in, in what's happened in the non-identification, but it's actually not as unusual in the drama of it and the mystery of it as one might think for us. When I saw the thing go out online um, of the individual's picture, I immediately recognized his face. I have a really good memory for faces, but of course I'll, I can't always place a face. Was that a hiker? Is that a friend of my ex-wife's? Is that somebody who gave me onion rings through a window? But the thing that got me right away was his gear, his backpacking gear, his jacket, that he was wearing a Brooks Range jacket and his tent that they showed, his yellow Brooks Range tent. Um, nobody along the trail, as far as I know, sells those. It's like a $300 tent. It's technically a two-person tent. I call it the condo because it's so big, but it's really light. It has a lot of room, and so you and the dog, or you and your deer can get in it. I did find it interesting that he bought uh, a tent like that, which is a pretty big mountaineering tent um, that we had a hard time selling at the tail end of his hike. Um, but he said he was going to keep hiking on. He purchased it with cash, it must have been. On paper, I can't be definitively sure, but it's just different. It, it is so it's such an unusual mountaineering gear. When, when I saw that, I thought, wow, he was here. I'm um, looking at one of the sheets here. The first night he stayed here on the 22nd of November. 
calling himself Ben Bellamy. There were two other people here. Um, so it was pretty easy to find out that it wasn't the other two. Um, and then we just backtracked a little bit and, you know, found out what he said his name was and what his trail name was. Uh, apparently he stayed here on 11 and then we were closed the next day for Thanksgiving, and then he was here for the 11:24, 11:25, and 11:26, and probably bought that gear right before he left. Then got his picture taken 40 miles south of here at Mount Crossing. So you're probably thinking, oh great, we have an actual name, Ben Bellamy. Well, don't get your hopes up. The police, I guess, searched it against different missing persons databases and criminal databases, and they got absolutely nothing. And if you're wondering, they actually did also search fingerprints through different databases and came up with a nil. So we've got the name Ben Bellamy, Denim, and Mostly Harmless, and nothing else. I mean, jeez, guy, I know you wanted to be anonymous on this trail, but damn, do you want to be anonymous like this? So he also had a bunch of notebooks with him when he was found. And the sheriff's department just recently released a lot of photos of the pages of these notebooks. And I'm going to put pictures and links to all this stuff up on the Instagram and the Facebook so you guys can check it out. But apparently it had to do with some sort of online programmer's game. And other parts of it had to do with his app that he wanted to make to, I guess, assist hikers to find water spots along these trails. And I don't know. I tried to look at it and I couldn't make sense of it. I had Nick, one of our listeners, hey, thanks Nick, look at it. And he thought a lot of it had to do with Dungeons and Dragons, that like role playing game. So I, I'm not sure, guys. Take a look and tell me what you think. But like I said earlier, there was, you know, a lot of different stuff done to try to in identify this guy. Um, the investigators back in Florida with the medical examiner's office, what they ended up doing was different types, you know, there's DNA tests they can do. And, you know, like with the whole Golden State Killer, they did the family DNA thing. And a lot of people are like, why don't we just do that? Well, here's a little explanation for you on why we can't just do that. From Lori Napolitano, Chief of Forensic Services from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. One thing probably needs to be made clear, there's two different types of DNA testing. There's the traditional DNA testing that we've done for years and years when someone's arrested or someone is missing. And we, on a missing person, we can get DNA, let's say, from family members. On When someone's arrested, their DNA goes into our... CODIS national database. It's offenders and missing persons. So that's the type of DNA testing that the crime lab would do on a suspect sample or on identified deceased person. That is a completely different type of DNA sample or DNA profile that gets developed for the ancestry type testing. They, they come from the same person, but it's like a hand and a foot. They're completely different. You can't compare them. So this testing when we talk about genetic genealogy, Golden State Killer, that is a 
different type of test. It's the same test that people do in Ancestry and 23andMe, but it's new to law enforcement to use it in this way. The only uh, database that we have to use is GEDmatch, who after the Golden State Killer, they had a privacy policy that always told people who uploaded their DNA there that it could be used for other purposes, but after the Golden State Killer, they publicly announced they would work with law enforcement. And now every day that you log in to GEDmatch, you get a login after the login screen, you get a message reminding you that your DNA could be used by law enforcement and also a link to remove it if you don't like it. But it is very different than Ancestry and 23andMe and what we'll call the commercial testing companies. GEDmatch doesn't test any DNA. It's strictly a database of DNA profiles of people who choose to put their DNA there. They may have tested with Ancestry or tested with 23andMe, and then they get the DNA from the company they tested with. They're able to download it to their computer, and they choose to upload it to GEDmatch. So as Lori just explained, law enforcement is severely limited down to just that one database. And apparently at this point, Mostly Harmless's family has not uploaded their DNA to GenMatch. So that kind of just cuts off the whole DNA match Golden State Killer situation. So I guess what we're, we're left with is just word of mouth. Us spreading it around and trying to get his name out there and hoping that a family member will be like, Damn, where's my son, uncle, dad, whatever. Or somebody that Mostly Harmless met on a trail happens upon a Facebook posting or this podcast or your reposting of this podcast. Just something. We just, we need to find out who this guy is because as of right now, his remains are sitting in Florida waiting for somebody to come claim them. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want my loved ones sitting in some morgue, you know, frozen but i don't know hopefully uh somebody in the vanished in the valley crew can come up with something if you guys don't know who mostly harmless is go check out the notebook maybe there's some programmers or it people that listen that can make more sense of what he was trying to say or do in his coding information um like i said at the beginning of the show i got a lot of information from the collier county sheriff's podcast called sworn statement and i used a lot of the authorities i guess interviews from that podcast um hopefully i don't get sued i mean even if i do i literally like get paid in bottle caps and rocks and i pay for this podcast in the bottle caps so i'm left with rocks so you guys can sue me with for the rocks if you'd like because <laughs> i don't have any money so i don't care but uh go check them out they were super super helpful in me creating this podcast and it's like we all have the same goal we just want to try to find this guy's family and get him taken care of get him back to his family So I think that's about it for this episode, guys. And as always, be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Cha-chao. Are you lost?